You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Father, thank you. Thank you again that we could gather to hear your word. May your Holy Spirit speak profoundly to us. May we receive what it is that you have to speak to us. May we experience you in a real and tangible way this morning. Uh, May we open this ancient text for wisdom, but hear your life-giving word spoken deep into us. And we, again, will be careful to give you all praise, saying these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are wrapping up today a three-week series called Flourish on how to master the three most important domains of your life so that you can flourish in life. We've been going through it. If you have any questions, feel free to send them. That phone number is at the bottom. I'm going to remind you again later. Feel free, but obviously no pressure. To flourish, we need to figure out these three domains. If we want to flourish in Jesus and flourish in life, we got to get a handle on these three domains. We've talked about spiritual domain. We've talked about our relational domain last week. And today we are talking about our vocational. We're talking about work. We're talking about our jobs. We're talking about the thing that we spend 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours a day doing, depending on how you work, where you work, what you're doing. And as always... We start with the bad news, because I think if we can better grasp the bad news, we'll better receive the gospel good news, if we can really feel the situation that we're in, as if you already don't feel the situation that you're in with work. Yeah, it's this. I got a bunch of Americans work hundreds of hours more a year than Europeans. More than any other industrialized um, uh, industrialized country. This is from the UN, the International Labor Organization, part of the UN. Americans work the longest hours among industrialized countries. Japan second. Europeans work way less, and they're doing more with their time. Let me tell you about this little graph, just so you can feel it. This is like 1950. This is now. We have never made more money as an economy and you've never been paid so much less than the amount of productivity you're putting out. You're, you're producing more than ever before. And you're not getting paid. You're the, the disparity between the amount you're getting paid and the amount you're producing has never been more unequal. I got more, more for us. Workism is making Americans miserable. What is workism? According to the very liberal Atlantic... They said that Americans have come up with this thing called the gospel of work. Listen to this. As the decline of traditional faith, that's the thing we're doing, religion, as the decline of religion in America has uh, coincided, it's coincided with an explosion of new atheisms. Some people worship beauty. Some people worship their political identity. Some people worship their children. Y'all, are we preaching yet? Everybody worships something, the Atlantic says. And workism is among the most potent of the new religions competing for our congregants. What is workism? I'm glad you asked. What is workism? It's the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose, and the belief that any policy to promote human welfare must always encourage everyone to work harder. We don't ask kids, you know, 
We ask them about their identity. We say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And your job is not your identity. You want to be something other than whatever my job is. One more article for us from the very liberal Vox News. Long hours make bad neighbors. Americans' excessive and unpredictable work schedules are making us lonely, self-centered, and powerless. Hey, even the whole world can see that we got to get this work thing under control. Otherwise, it will control us in a way that is not good for us. If I could summarize all of that for us with some bad news, it's that we're overworked, overstressed, in a broken system that treats us like human resources rather than human beings. Or that's a department at your job. Human resources. Uh, like you're a copy machine. We've got to take care of the re copy machine resources, the human resources, the toilet paper resources. And you're not even making as much as you're producing. Like that, that's not commensurate with the amount of output that we're doing. Y'all, that's a lot. And then on top of that, I think a little bit we're brainwashed to believe that we're lazy, that we're not working hard enough, that we're not doing enough, that we just simply aren't enough. I have a master's degree in theology. I paid a house worth amount of money to go learn the Bible. And when I take a rest day that God commanded in the Ten Commandments, I'm like, Why am I not doing more stuff? And I didn't grow up like that. My family is not an A-type, get stuff done. You're thinking my genes would take over and be like, let's rest. And it's like, no. Well, maybe I could take off a couple hours today and a couple hours tomorrow and I won't feel so guilty. We just are just conditioned to... We're being told all the time that people don't like to work and our employment rate's like 3%. It's like historically low. People are working. They're working hard and they can barely pay their bills it's wild. It's wild. It's hard. We have to get this domain of our life under control, not only because we spend a third of our wake, I mean, a third of our life there, uh, half of our waking day at work, uh, but because it can crush us. We can totally buy into the machine of working harder instead of resting and abiding in Jesus. This isn't what God wants for you. That's not what God wants to speak over you. But... And we have some good news. We're going to jump around the Bible today. We've been doing some expository sermons where we take one big passage and pull from it. Today, I want to take us to different places to see what God says about work around Scripture. But as always, we're going to organize it around head, heart, hands, something for us to know, feel, do. What does God want us to know with our heads, experience inside of us? What does he want us to feel? And what does God want us to do ultimately with this thing called vocation? And I know that we have folks in our congregation that are retired, and we love you, and we need you here. God has work for you, too. Even if you're not working at the factory, we got, I mean, there is ways for God to put us all to use for the glory of his kingdom. So this applies to all of us. Some of us are between jobs and without jobs. Uh, some of us have non-traditional work. God has word for us all in the midst of this. So what does God want us to know? I think the first thing we got to figure out is don't be confused about your calling. Don't be confused about your calling. we got to figure out this calling thing. What is God calling us to? What does God want from us? What is God asking of us? This is the thing that I think trips up a lot of us. I was at a university for a long time. I mentored a lot of university students, and they would come to me, 
And very, very often they would ask me, and I understand why, they're in the middle of some decision-making moments in their life, but they would come to me and they'd say, I need prayer, especially young men. I need prayer because I need to know what job I'm supposed to get, and I need to know who I'm supposed to marry. And I'm like, bro, I can't help you with any of that. I'll pray for you. What's God's purpose for my life? I need to know those things. If I could, I need to figure that out. They were confused about the calling. They were confused. Paul talks to us. I'm going to give you three chapters if you want to go home and read them more in depth. He talks to us about our call. And Ephesians 4 is one of those chapters. He says, therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call that you received. And then he gives us a big passage. And at the end of that passage, he says, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks of people who play to deliberately mislead others. Don't be confused. Don't get tossed and turned about what the world is telling you about work and vocation and call. We got to figure this out. Instead, he says that God gave some of us to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. His purpose in all of that, the reason that he gives any of us a call to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. That's the goal. That's why God gives you any purpose at all, is that we're to build one another up so that we can become more like Jesus and have unity within us. Whatever God's call on your life is, it's going to result in you directing it that way, building one another up, for unity so that we can all become like Christ. Yeah? God's goal, I love it when Paul just tells me the goal, is for us to become mature adults, fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. Therefore, don't get tossed around by the world. Don't get The more we work to help each other grow into Christ-likeness, the less we're going to be confused about what God's doing in our life. Don't get confused about your calling. Uh, I, I mostly just listen to comedians now. I mostly just listen to comedians talk all the time, whether they're specials, specials or podcasts. I don't even watch shows anymore. Uh, I just watch them talk. And I heard Adam Devine talk about this movie, and I pieced together a couple of video clips for you to listen to him be confused about his call. Here's Adam Devine. If you don't know Pitch Perfect, it was a movie where people sang. It was a singing movie. Here's this, here you go. We did not test this, let's see if it works. My name's Adam Devine and I play the character Bumper. I'm the leader of the Troublemakers. Bumper, huge fan. Now let's match pitch. He's really serious about acapella to the point that it's weird. Now, Adam, many people uh, know you as, as Bumper in the Pitch Perfect movies, mm. which you're brilliant in them. How did you come to be in those films? I actually, uh, I actually didn't know that it was a singing movie. I thought it was a baseball movie. <laughs> I honestly did. Uh, I was like, I showed up and there was all these just, there was all these like handsome dudes there and like they're not stretching, you know? And, and not stretching. Yeah, and I'm over there stretching. I'm like, you're gonna pull something. And, <laughs> And then I read the sides, and I'm like, oh, there's a lot of singing for this baseball movie. <laughs> and then I realize what it is, and I go in the, the audition room, and uh, they were like, okay, what song did you prepare? And I'm like, I didn't prepare a song. Take it or leave it, you know? 
And they're like, okay, get out of here. And I'm like, I prepared a song. <laughs> and, uh, and then I ended up, the only song that I could like pull from like the deep wrinkly parts of my back brain was, uh, was this classic. Whatever happened to predictability? And that's then they then that's what they were looking for in the character of Bumper, evidently. <laughs> Worked out for him. Confused. Confused about his audition call. Had no idea. Stress, anxiety. That's a man who's confused about what he was supposed to do. I think that's funny. We can get there. We can be confused. We show up. We don't know what we're doing. We're doing this all the time. So I think the first thing we need to know, the first thing we need to figure out in our head is not to be confused about our calling. And here's how I want to speak into that potentially confusing part of our life. I think there's three aspects to every person's call slash vocation slash work. There's three parts of God's call on your life uh, let's go over those quickly. Uh, here they are. I think the first one is general call. We're going to get into these. First one is general call. The second one is the missional call. And the third one is the particular call. What is the general call? The general call is the call on every Christian's life. This is going to be most of your life. Most of your life, 90% of your call, I'm just making that number up. That is not a biblical number. It's probably 99%. But most of your life is you figuring out how you're supposed to love God with your whole self and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' is great commandment, right? Matthew 22. That's your general call. That's the call on everyone. So when these kids would come to me in, in university and be like, who am I supposed to marry? I'm like, love God with your whole self and love your neighbor as yourself. It'll get figured out. It'll get figured out. This is all of our call. This is the thing Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4, where we're helping each other. We're using our gifts to equip each other to grow up into Christ-likeness. This is what we're doing. All of it. I know we want to know the details. God's more interested in the big picture stuff. The second part of our call is what we call the missional call. And it is that is that there, we have a unique set of gifts that God gives to different people. And I think this is going to shape most of your working life, right? It goes with these gifts that the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. I'm going to pull out some of those gifts just so you get a flavor of what they say. But the, the theology behind it is that when you become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters your life and gives you a supernatural gift that you get to use supernaturally for the building up of the body of Christ. Those gifts include things like apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, right? helping people find the gospel, helping people shepherd it on the journey, helping people learn the information. This is calling people to covenant faithfulness, sometimes having a word about the future. These are people who start new works of the gospel. These are the ones who are going out and breaking new grounds. But also in 1 Corinthians 12, it lists people who do miracles, gifts of healing, the ability to help others, leadership skills is mentioned, and then in Romans 12, prophecy again, service, encouragement, managing and giving money, generosity, leadership and administration, and the gift of mercy, being merciful to folks. Paul does not have exhaustive lists. There are other ones, which just makes this more confusing. But I think in our missional calling, these are the things that shape the way that we're going to live outwardly into the world. I think these are the things that we need to let shape our career choice and our decisions. For example, teachers is up here. 
My friend Matt is a teacher, and he's pretty good at music, which is not up here. He's pretty okay at music. No, just kidding. He's incredible. He's got a degree in it. He's lovely. If he came to me and said, hey, James, I'm thinking about quitting being a teacher, and I'm going to, I don't know, go work at the bank. The bank is a lovely job. The pastoral part of me would say, I don't know if this matches up with your missional call. Talk to me about what's going on. You seem to love helping kids understand stuff. You seem to love music, and now you're going to go count money. Both great jobs. We need both of those in our, in our community, but I don't know if that fits the way that you have lived out God's calling in your life in the past. And he could tell me to kick rocks, and I will. But I'm going to pastorally ask him to explore his missional call. The idea behind missional call is that God has given you a spiritual gift, and that's going to shape the way that you work and serve in your community. Last part of that three aspects of call is your particular call. And these are unique to you, but they're rare. This is where we read in scripture where God opens the heavens and speaks to somebody and says, go to that people and go to that place and do that specific thing. It happens. You may get one, two, three in your life, but you want them every week. And I'm just telling you scripturally, it might not be every day. You want God to be like, go to the front of the parking lot. I prepared a spot for you. That might happen. I'm not saying that's not outside of God's realm, but that's what we, that's what these university kids wanted. They just wanted God to be like, there's a, there's a woman named Jessica over there. Go talk to her. Sometimes, sometimes not. God is more interested in you living out your general call and your missional call. That is going to be 99% of your life. And every once in a while, God will speak to you. And we believe it. We affirm it that God's going to talk. You can experience the voice of God. And sometimes God calls you to a specific people and place to do a specific work for the gospel. But focus, major on the majors. Focus on the general and the missional. Where do we start with all of that? And then I'll move on to my next point. Where do we start with all of that? I'll never not mention this quote from Frederick Beekner when I'm talking about work. He says, a good place to start is the place, the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's a good place to start. If you're wondering where to start, figure out the thing that lights you up and figure out the thing that the world desperately needs. And that's a, probably a good place that God might be calling you to. So the first way that we got to figure out our vocational life is don't get confused in the calling. Major on those majors. Listen for the voice of God to give you good calling. But by and large, it's about loving God, loving neighbor, serving the body of Jesus. What does God want us to feel when we talk about work? I think God wants us to feel the weight of work. Feel the weight of of the importance of it. I know the world tells you that it needs to just be all-consuming and it crushes you. And there's a reason why that lie has snuck in is because work actually really is important. And it can add a lot of dignity to our life. God has purpose for us. God has work for us, whatever stage of life we're in. And so there is a weightiness to work. There's an eternal weight to work. But we can't let the world co-opt that and use it to just turn us into machines. So God wants you to feel the weight of work, and God wants you to know that all work, almost, almost, almost. You listen, you're selling meth to seventh graders. That's not holy work. But almost all work 
can be holy and highly valuable in the kingdom of God. See, they used to think that there was a divide. There was a secular and sacred divide, and pastors had a vocation, and everyone else just, sorry, you weren't chosen. And we decided about 500 years ago that that's not what Scripture teaches at all. So we got verses like Genesis 2 that talks about the importance and dignity of work, that God took Adam and put him in the garden to till it, and then he created woman to be a helper in that work. The first thing God does with human beings is give them a job because work is holy and it could add dignity to our life. And we're all called to some form of work and they're not doing any pastoring or preaching or prophesying. They're not doing any holy, sec, you know, vocational clergy stuff. They're doing garden work. This is the job that God gives them. It adds dignity to the human experience. Great dignity and work. All work. We really get this fleshed out, like I said, 500 years ago from a guy named Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King Jr. was named after Martin Luther 500 years later. This is Martin Luther in the 1500s. He's famous for saying, hey, I got 95 problems with the Catholic Church. You know he was just hoping for five more. He's like, can I come up with five more? 100 is just so much better than 95. And famously, he nails them to the door in his town, which was a very common way of turning in essays. When you turn in an essay, you nailed it to the door. It was like a community board at Starbucks. But everyone thinks he's doing some grand act. Just, I'm so angry. He's like, no, I'm just turning in this essay. 95 problems, some things I think we can improve upon. Stop selling free tickets to heaven. That was one of them. If you were rich enough, you could just buy a free ticket to heaven. He was like, maybe we don't do that one anymore. (laughs) And they were like, how dare you? You're not a part of our deal anymore. And so he starts the Protestant. He's the father of the Protestant Reformation. This is where we kind of broke off from the Catholic Church because we had some grievances. But in the midst of all that, he was a priest. He married a nun. In the midst of all that, he, he finds in Scripture some of these things that we've summed up as the priesthood of every believer. That in Jesus now, we're all called to be ministers of the gospel wherever we are. And he comes up with this thing called the doctrine of vocation. That all work can be holy, not just whatever I'm doing up here. And he uses verses like this, 1 Corinthians 7. Each person should live the kind of life that the Lord assigned when God called each one. Just because you come to Jesus doesn't mean you've got to become a priest. Your work can be holy. Or 1 Peter But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. That Christ has democratized the priesthood and that we're all ministers of the gospel now because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, what we said 500 years ago is still true today. We believe it. Most churches in town believe it. That we're all holy because of Christ. We're all priests now and as ministers of gospel, and all of our jobs could be done for Jesus. That also means that the work that you're doing has an eternal weight to it. It's important. And the way that you do it is important. To be confusing, this is Martin Luther King, not Martin Luther. And he has a great speech about this. He goes to this junior high and he gives this speech to them about the kind of work they want to do. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King wanted to bring a little gospel to this junior high. And I thought we could use some today. So this is a famous speech about how we should work from Martin Luther King. 
And when you discover what you're going to be in life, set out to do it as if God Almighty called you at this particular moment in history to do it. Set out to do a good job and do that job so well that the living, the dead, or the unborn couldn't do it any better. Falls your love to be a street sweeper. Sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Leontine Price sings before the Metro Metropolitan Opera. And sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. I love it. Whatever your lot in life, we do it with the eternal weight of knowing that it is a holy calling. Raising our kids, teaching, working at hospitals, running businesses in our community, providing services, all kinds of ways in which we can do things with that eternal weight of knowing that all work can be holy in the kingdom and that work adds a, a dignity to our life and to our community. This is what I think God wants us to feel, that the work you do is important, it has dignity for you and for your community, it adds value, and it can be a holy calling for Christ wherever Christ finds you. I think this is the second way that we conquer our vocational life. Feel the weight of that work, the holiness and the dignity that is involved. Lastly, what does God want us to do? What are we supposed to do? This line is a little cheesy, but I hope you just never forget it. Maybe a little controversial, but make Jesus your boss. And it's controversial because we don't like our bosses, right? Sometimes. Sometimes we got great bosses. Sometimes not. But the Bible tells us over and over again to make Jesus your boss. That's part of adding that eternal weight and dignity to work here. Here's a passage from Colossians. Whatever you do, whether speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, do it from the heart for the Lord and not for man, not for humans. You serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't do your work for them. You do your work for him. That is going to make the difference in how we master this domain of vocational life. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of my favorite passages. The whole passage, 57 verses, is about what happens when we die or when Jesus comes back. It's all future-oriented. He says Jesus is going to come back, and in the twinkling of an eye and the snap of a finger, we're all going to get new bodies, imperishable, unfading, unchangeable, super bodies, Jesus, if you're dead, is going to lift you out of your coffin and give you new bodies, and you're going to enter into a new creation over and over again. 57 verses about how awesome new creation is going to be, how awesome your new body is going to be in Jesus Christ. In the very last verse, he ends this way, which I think is it's so profound to me. I hope you catch a little bit of it. The last verse, after all that future stuff, he says, as a result of all of this, you know that your labor isn't going to be in vain, isn't going to be for nothing in the Lord. 
you would not think at the end of like, guess how great the future is, is so therefore your work now is really important. I would think it'd be like, so you know what? Just take it easy. It's going to be just, you know, you're on your way to like the best vacation of your life. It's an eternity of just awesomeness. Just kind of coast on in. No, your work is important. It is not in vain. We do it for Jesus. It has eternal significance. It has eternal significance. Now's a great time to send any questions if you have them. I used to work at the movie theater for like eight years. It was a great experience. I loved that job. I would probably still be working there if I could pay my bills on the wage that they gave me. I loved it. Things are different now. I used to work with film. Now everything's on a computer. Kids these days. Just, I'm just kidding. I worked there for like eight years, and it was really wonderful. I still meet people that were like, you look really familiar. And I'm like, I do this, this, and this. And they're like, no, no, no. And I'm like, I worked at the movie theater. And they're like, ah, we went there every day. And on the way to the movie theater, I used to, this is our dam. I used to turn right here. It was a little shortcut. Now everybody turns right there because Walmart's back there. But it used to be over here. And now streams over there. They snuck my little, my little shortcut right here. But I used to go here and then right, and then I'd be at the movie theater, and I wouldn't have to sit in this super long line of everyone trying to get in Walmart. And it was wonderful. And now it's discovered. People are doing stuff over there. So I would turn that way, and every day on the way to work, I would see this little tool shop. It's no longer there. But it was called Bill's Orville Tool Supply. And you can still see, kind of, this is blurry, this is because it's Google Maps, there were two, like, I want to say in my mind, it was like, you know, it was a million years ago. I want to say in my mind, there were saw blades. They had two saw blades up there. And every day I would read it, on this side it would say, and I'm remembering, I could be wrong, run by Bill, owned by God. And I was like, Bill gets it. Now listen, you may know Bill, and he may be a horrible human being. I don't know him, so I'm not advocating for his character or life in any way. But that helped me so much on my way to work to remember Jesus is my boss. I'm not doing this for the guy who owns the movie theater. I'm not doing this, right, for my manager. At the end of the day, I'm not even really doing it for the people. The eternal perspective there is that I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm doing my best. I'm sweeping streets like Michelangelo <laughs> painted paintings, you know. I'm building movies and sweeping popcorn like the Lord called me to that exact work. And Bill's little saw blades just helped me keep eternal perspective every time I drove to work and punched in and punched out and did the thing. It was good to keep Jesus before my eyes as I went into work. Run by Bill, owned by God. Third and final way that I think we think we got to conquer our vocational life is that we got to shift our focus away from who we're working for now and put it on Jesus as the one who is ultimate uh, administrator over our lives. Questions, comments, criticisms, concerns? Checking, checking, checking. Hearing none. There's a woman who's pregnant in our community. I have not got a lot of words, so I'll let you know when I know. She's very overdue. 
to flourish, we have to get our vocational life in order. And how we do that, summing up, begin by knowing your calls. Begin uh, by feeling the weight of your work. Know that, that it is holy. Know that there is some dignity involved in there for your humanity. Know that God has put an eternal weight to it. And lastly, we need to move to make Jesus our boss. And with that, would you pray with me as we head into a time of communion? Father, thank you. Thank you for encouraging us to get this aspect of our life in order. It can be so draining. It can be so difficult. It can be so time-consuming and emotionally exhausting. Would you help us to put your principles into place? That as we're drawn closer to you, that all the rest of our lives would come into order, to come into your new creation kingdom order including the the amount of time we spend at work, whether that's with kids or grandkids, whether that's with just managing our houses or managing a giant office or a classroom or our own businesses, would you help us to feel your call in that space that it would be holy, meaningful, and for your glory? And we'll give you all praise. Table Church, will you help me in this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer? Saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from...